following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Have you experienced the supernatural? There are some people who think that supernatural is if somebody gets healed or overcome an illness. Uh, Other people think that supernatural is you speak in a language that nobody understands. But as Christians, grab a hold of this. You've got to comprehend the fact that you are dealing with the supernatural every single moment of every single day of your life. It's true. And the more you comprehend this, the more you're going to be realizing how God is actively involved in your life because God takes every variable of your life, every single one, every tiny detail, whether you go right or left, whether you go up or down, whether you stay home or go out, whether you drive a certain direction or react a certain way, take a certain class, get a certain teacher, your failures, your successes and weaves every single tiny detail of your life to accomplish his perfect will. And friends, that is supernatural. Understand how it works. God takes all the things that are out of your control and basically orders them to accomplish his specific plan for you using all the millions of variables that are under his control. Are you getting it? Every single moment of every single day for a believer is a supernatural experience. In fact, God providentially is working in your life every single second. And we know that from Romans 8.28 there in your outline. It says, and we know that God causes how many things? All things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now some of us are walking through life and we're not even recognizing the fact that God is supernaturally at work ordering our lives. And that needs to change. God is working with every relationship, every circumstance, every health issue, everything you're battling with. He is adjusting it, tweaking it, directing it, causing everything to work together to accomplish His perfect will. There's nothing outside of His control. And you should be amazed by that because it is definitely supernatural, God's providence. In fact, If that were not enough, the book that you have in your lap or in front of you right now, God's Word alone can raise the dead and give them eternal life. They were dead and now they're alive. That book that you have is the only book that can actually take you and transform you to make you more like Jesus Christ over time in an amazing way. It is a supernatural book. And the supernatural is happening all around us as we have gathered to worship God is at work through his word, through his people, and through his gospel, the message of salvation. The Galatians were questioning the gospel. Which one is correct? Is it the one that the Apostle Paul taught them that was by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, on his first missionary journey? Or now, as these teachers made their way into the Galatian churches, is it the gospel of the Old Testament law, of Old Testament rabbinic tradition? Uh, you know, basically they would say, yes, with Christ, but basically it's, you got to do these things in order to be saved, and they're espousing this. One of the gospels was by grace, the other one is by law. 
One of the Gospels was according to God's word and truth. The other one is according to man's traditions. One was through faith, and the other one was through circumcision. One was supernatural, and the other was by human design. So as Paul continues in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, this is the section in these first two chapters, extremely personal. He's pouring out his heart. He's talking about personal experiences, very, very personal. Then in chapters 3 and 4, it becomes more principle or doctrine-driven, and then it's more practical in 5 and 6. But in this first section, Paul is reminding these readers and he's reminding us today, obviously, that the gospel that he taught them was not given from men, but it was supernaturally given from God. Very supernaturally. The gospel that Paul taught is the only one that is according to God, the one given by God, revealed by God. It's the only gospel that can cause the dead to come to life. It's the only gospel that can transform you into a new person and make you new it's the only gospel that is truly supernatural if you're not there yet please open your bibles to galatians 1 if you're new with us we're working our way through this incredible epistle we find ourselves in chapter 1 and notice the difference between the true gospel and the false gospel even in just these three verses in verses 10 11 and 12 it's listed therefore in your outline so let's read it together out loud ready everybody here we go it is For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapters 1 and 2, personal. Chapters 3 and 4, it is the principle-driven or doctrinal. And chapter 5 and 6, practical. But in this personal section, Paul's doing two things. He's establishing the correct gospel, and he's also making sure that because these false teachers have come in, they've tried to undermine Paul by criticizing him, criticizing his apostleship, saying he's not a real apostle, he's not part of the twelve, he's a kind of a fly-by-night apostle. They're trying to cheapen him so they can attack the message. And they can say, Paul came to you, and he's trying to please people and basically score points with you, but really, this is the true gospel. We're giving that to you. This is what these Judaizers are trying to do. They're trying to hijack these new churches. They're trying to mess up these new believers and take them hostage with a human design gospel of works righteousness. Not given by Christ righteousness, but you working for it righteousness. And the Judaizers began to question whether Paul was actually a genuine apostle at all. So those two things, is he a real apostle and what is the true gospel in these first two chapters? And you can see their evil strategy. In order to create doubt in the Galatians' minds regarding the message, they're going to undermine the messenger. You undermine the messenger, then therefore you discredit the message. So if they can create a gap between Paul and Jesus, then the origins of Paul's gospel is then thrown into question. If they can create a gap between Paul and the apostles who are in Jerusalem, the twelve, then they can force open their fake gospel into this broadening crevice gap that they've created, 
and somehow maybe gain some followers. So understand, when you begin to really feel the weight of the uniqueness of the gospel that we believe, that is so different than every world religion, every single one, then when you understand that, you'll understand that this is how they're working it. Because when you consider Paul's gospel message, it had no ceremony, it just had Christ. It has no works, efforts, laws, just faith. It had no law, it had just grace. Very simple message. And the distinctiveness of his gospel message made Paul an easy target because it was so unique. And they desired to undermine his apostolic authority and his message, and so therefore they used the distinctiveness even of the gospel message to undermine that truth. So Paul uses chapters 1 and 2, where we're at, to describe how the message that he proclaimed uh, to the cities of Perga, Iconium, Cyprus, and the other cities in the Galatia region resulted in churches being established in every city only through God's supernatural gospel. Now get this, it is a gospel that is good news from God alone, and God alone saves sinners by grace alone. Are you getting it? It is a gospel of good news from God alone, that God alone saves sinners by grace alone, and by grace alone means no law, no rules to keep before you become a Christian, no circumcision, no ceremonies were necessary for salvation, because of grace alone, the Judaizers began to accuse Paul of being a man-pleaser, a man-pleaser. They said Paul made up an easy method of salvation. It's too simple, it's too easy, it's too free, so it's not, you don't have to keep the ceremonies, you have to do these things, you just turn to Christ, and they go, he's a man-pleaser. He's trying to make it more receptive so that you will like him more and not this rigid religion that really shows how devoted you really are. And so they're undermining him in this matter. They're attacking the true gospel and they're saying Paul taught what people wanted to hear, what they wanted to hear. Good news. So Paul begins his personal apostolic defense with several direct responses to the lies being told about him and the supernatural gospel from God that he taught. So point number one in your outline, stay with me. The gospel did not come from people pleasers. The gospel did not come from people pleasers. Look at chapter 1, verse 10. I love this passage. And if you ever you know, have an overt fear of people, if you think yourself a people pleaser and not a Christ pleaser, this is one of your memory verses right here. Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a what? Bondservant of Christ, a slave of Christ. Look at the very first word there. This is great. See that word for? That's gar in Greek. And, and it's always translated by its context. It's one of those words that defined by its context, so it's, it's translated in the New Testament, yes, uh, certainly, what, why, but it's also translated occasionally, there, and I think that actually serves us well to understand what's happening here, uh, there, you could actually put that in your Bible, there, and it's really a helpful rendering, what, what Paul is saying here is there, he's referring back to the strong anathemas he just gave in verses 8 and 9. And in the previous two verses, he said, if they change the gospel, let them be anathema. Let them be damned to hell 
So then Paul says, there. Does that sound like I'm a people pleaser? Are you getting it? He's in contrast. There. You know, he just anathema. And he says, now you're going to call me a people pleaser? Come on, are you with me on this? You just went through the confrontation, and, and now you're going to say I'm a people pleaser? So he's showing them, am I now seeking favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? Uh, there. So the Judaizers are accusing Paul of preaching an easy, cheap gospel to please people, and yet Paul just damned the Judaizers uh, to hell for destroying the true, supernatural, simple gospel of grace. And what they were doing is adding Old Testament law, circumcision, ceremonies, Jewish customs, even the dietary restrictions as necessary for salvation. So instead of embracing the right salvation that is by grace, meaning a gift from God, through faith, just you relying on Christ and in Christ alone. So there, he says, does that sound like I'm a people pleaser? I, I, I think that that's funny, even though you're not laughing. Uh, it's just, he kind of just puts it in their face. Well, next, he tries to get very personal. He asks in verse 10, if I were still trying to please men. Now, when did Paul actually try to please men? Remember? when he was a Christian-hating Pharisee. Remember that? That's when he was trying to please men. He was trying to please the religious leaders of Jerusalem. He was trying to score points as a young zealot and really rise to the surface. And so therefore, before the Savior dragged Paul into genuine saving faith by grace in Christ alone, Paul was attempting as a non-Christian to impress the Jewish leadership about his zeal, his commitment, and all those who believe that salvation was by works or through the Jewish faith and, and uh, religious steps. And so therefore, now, Paul, everything's different, right? In light of what Paul now teaches and the way he now lives since his con conversion, the idea that Paul is now, verse 10, still trying to please men is absurd. Would you agree with that? Sure. If Paul were still trying to please men, if that were true, Paul affirms, look at the end of verse 10, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now that word is, is kind of tempered. It's actually slave. I would not be a slave of Christ. Paul had surrendered his life entirely to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is like a slave to a master. He's serving his Lord, and that surrender, that dependent life, that service had cost him massively. Would you agree with that? Have you read the New Testament? Do you know what Paul went through? Come on, think about it. At the end of this epistle, uh, you might want to look at it, in chapter 6, verse 17, Paul reminds his readers, I hear three people turning their pages, which is fine, I'm, I'm not bitter. Um, it says this, 6.17, For I bear on my body the what? Brand marks of Jesus. Whoa, what's he saying there? Paul actually received many of those marks on his body in Galatia during his first missionary journey, especially in the city of Lystra, where Paul was left for dead after being stoned in Acts 14, 19. Paul was stoned. Now, being stoned was not as popular in Paul's day as it is today. Thank you. Being stoned in Paul's day meant taking him to a, a, a ridge or a cliff and pushing him off, no matter how high it is, having him land on rocks, 
than taking large rocks, as much as you could hold, and throwing them on you. That's what it meant to be stoned until you were dead. You understand? Paul was stoned in Lystra. They threw him off a ledge or a slope or whatever, landed on rocks. Rocks were thrown on him. He was considered dead. He wasn't supernaturally maintained alive by God himself. But he was stoned. Now understand, this leaves a lot of bruising. Would you agree? Uh, you know, one of our own just had an auto accident. Just a big, big welt on his forehead. But imagine what Paul looked like uh, with all these rocks and brand marks on his body. Now, I don't know. what I, I'm at the point in my life. Uh, this is kind of freaking me out just a little bit. So I'm adjusting to this. Some of you who are older know what I'm talking about. But I just bruise all the time. All the time. You know, when I, I bruise as a 22-year-old, it'd, like, it'd be there for a day and then it's gone. I bruise now, and it's like there for like months, years. I go out and work on the yard, and all of a sudden there's just gashes all through, you know, from the roses and cuts, and then these massive bruises. When I go traveling, I take my backpack, and I do put my entire office in it, so it weighs 3,000 pounds. But uh, understand, when I throw it off my back, the, 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 the strap catches on my arm and just slams in there, and then there's this massive bruise. Massive. I just, you can see me. I, I, look, I reached down yesterday, just bumped a little furniture. Bruce, okay. So think about Paul now. Just all these bruises and marks, and they're not going away. Now, students, just imagine that this Wednesday night, you are at youth group. And the, the new game is called Stonehand. Stonehand, where you put your hand out on the table. This is a really good one. Jesse will love this one. So you put it onto the table. And then another guy, a staff person, takes a rock and slams it on your hand as hard as he possibly can. Stone, you get an in and out, you know, card and all that kind of stuff if you do it. How many are going to do it? I, I hope no one. Because it's not only going to hurt, it's going to do damage, right? So this is a small stone. The stones that they threw on you after stoning were huge. Now, again, God supernaturally preserved Paul, Right? He did, but he had the brand marks, the residue of that stoning. Now, I'm making a big point of this because persecution, death threats, jail, suffering was common for Paul. He asked the Corinthians, take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He says, am I a servant of Christ? And then he talks about what happens to a servant of Christ. Imprisonment, beaten without number, often in danger of death. Five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes, that's with a cat of nine tails, ripping his back off. Five times! Unbelievable. Three times beaten with rods. I was stoned. There you go, there's the one, Lystra. Three times shipwrecked. He's a night and a day in the water waiting to be rescued. Dangers, labors, hardships, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, and then above all that, all the massive concern that he had for the churches. That's what Paul suffered. Now, here's the point. The point is, he's proclaiming the gospel of grace. He's a servant of Christ. Typically, if you're a people pleaser, they're usually not martyrs, are they? People pleasers are, are really not willing to suffer. They're people pleasers. They're going to do what you want so that you won't make them suffer. Are you tracking with me? The desire to escape ridicule and avoid trouble is one of the hallmarks of a people pleaser. 
Paul's reminding his readers that people-pleasing is totally incompatible with the severe persecution that Paul endured. Verse 10, he affirms, as a slave of Christ. Are you getting it? Here's the point, that if he was really a people-pleaser, he wouldn't have been stoned, shipwrecked, beaten, cat of nine tails five times. That would not have happened because he would have been negotiating, right? But he wasn't. He's like, no, this is the truth, and I'm going to stand on it. It was rather Paul's Jewish accusers who are actually the people pleasers. And Paul says that in Galatians chapter 6 verse 12 in the NIV. Look what it says. It says those who want to impress people by means of the flesh and their own strength are trying to compel you to be circumcised. And here's the reason. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They are the man-pleasers seeking to impress Gentiles and Jews alike, saying salvation is secured by circumcision. It's easy. Yet, here's another point. They're not only people-pleasing, but they're accusing Paul of being a people-pleaser. And here's the point. Often, often, when you're accused, five times if you're accused, four of those times, the people accusing you are actually guilty of what they're accusing you. They're actually pointing out their own sin. And that's what's happening here. They are actually guilty of their own accusations. The people-pleasing Judaizers were teaching a work salvation in order to please others, and they want to avoid the persecution of those opposed to salvation by grace alone. So they're getting a lot of pressure from the Pharisees and religious leaders, and so they want to present a different gospel. The salvation by works crowd were the people pleasers. The salvation by grace crowd were the Christ pleasers. You get the difference? Those by works were people pleasers. Those by grace were Christ pleasers. So Paul is basically going to tell you in the context here that he will damn those teaching a false gospel because he says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 21 coming up, If righteousness could be gained, if I could get righteousness so I could stand before a holy God, if I could gain that through keeping the law, then Christ died for nothing. His salvation was for nothing. Then if Christ is the only way to know, know, basically the gospel is the only way to know Christ and gain salvation and forgiveness and be made new and given eternal life forever, and that's Paul's revealed gospel, which is good news from God alone, and God alone saves sinners by grace alone, then... All the other messages are fake gospels. If it's not by grace, then it's a fake gospel. If it's not God did the work and somehow you've got to work your way to heaven, it's a fake gospel. And those gospels damn you to hell. And if they do, they must be damned by us as well. We can't be polite about the gospel when it's a fake one. Because eternity's at stake. And regardless of whether people are offended or not, why? Because the gospel didn't come from people pleasers. We can't be people pleasing when it comes to the truth of salvation. Can I hear an amen? You can't. Next, Paul actually refutes accusations that the source of the true gospel was human. As if Paul dreamed it up. Look at verse 11 and 12. That the gospel of grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone didn't come from a think tank it didn't come from, like, all of a sudden Paul's sitting there, an epiphany uh, that, you know, came to him mentally. Paul's about to tell us the true God-given gospel is counterintuitive, 
counterintuitive, which means no human being would ever concoct such a way of salvation. Again, let's be really clear. Every religion on earth, everyone, every cult created is void of the grace of God. It's void of that. No Catholic, no Muslim, no Orthodox Jew, no Hindu, no Buddhist teaches that you can be saved from hell by God's grace. Not one. Not one. Or, or they would never say simply placing your faith in Jesus Christ. It's always belief in Christ, belief in Mary, belief in Muhammad, belief in Yahweh, plus do this and do that. It's not God's grace. All cults attach something to the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. It is never taught that faith in Christ or faith in God alone will save anyone. Never. That's the big difference. That is why, number two in your outline, the gospel was not devised by man. The gospel was not devised by man, by human. Look at verse 11, read it. For I would have you to know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to who? Now, the the verb there, I would have you to know, that verb in the original language is saying, this is incredibly important, it's emphatic. Let me make this perfectly clear. What must we never forget? Well, when Paul traveled through Iconium and, and Cyprus and Lystra and Derbe, here's the gospel he proclaimed, verse 11, it was not according to man. Paul's gospel was not human in origin. If it was man's idea, it would have been like every other single human religion since the time began. It would have been based upon a work a righteousness that you would earn, uh, born of man's pride and satanic deception. Listen, if men make it up, it gives glory to men. I just have to live good. I just got to go to church. I just got to give a little, serve a little, clean up my vocabulary, maybe get circumcised, and I can feel good about myself and consider myself saved. That's the lie. Your sinful pride is offended by the idea that only God's grace can save you from sin. Therefore, even churchgoers insist sometimes on having a part in their own salvation. This is what Galatians are going to carve out of your heart. The true gospel is this. Remember from last week? God accepts us, and then we follow him. That's the true gospel. God accepts us. The false gospel is we give something to God so that he accepts us. That's the difference. And the very fact that Paul preached a message of salvation where works play absolutely no part is in itself evidence that Paul's message was from God and not people, mankind, religion. Get this. To become right with God, you must speak, you must think, you must live, you ready? Write it down, perfectly. One more time, perfectly. God is righteous, God is holy, God is without sin. To know him now and live with him forever in heaven, you must be as perfect as God is perfect. Absolutely. You can never have one lustful thought. Never have one careless word. One greedy action, one heart of envy, one expression of jealousy, one outburst of anger, 
never one act of indifference, not one, not one. And here's the shocker, my friends. I know you're going to be shocked by this. It's too late for me. And honestly, for you, that ship has sailed. Okay? You are a sinner. And no amount of good deeds or sacrifices or church attendance or prayers or niceness or gifts are going to make up for your sin. Your sin is a violation of God's law. Your sin is an abuse and an attack on the very character of God himself. And each one of you has sinned a lot. You and I are justly under condemnation from God. There is nothing that you can do about it. Nothing. Nothing you can do to change it. But the good news from God is that God is the one who can save you. That's the good news. His perfect son, the God-man Jesus Christ, took the punishment for sin upon himself. He bore the wrath of God for sin that should have been poured out on you forever, eternally in hell. And if you embrace his life and his work by faith, you put your hope, your trust, your life in his hands, then your sin can fall on Christ on the cross and his perfect righteousness can cover you like a white robe. I brought a white robe. Okay, in celebration of my brother. It's a lab coat. See this? I, I dressed ex extremely dark today for purposes that this right here, this darkness, this is an illustration of what's inside. Okay? It's bad. Anybody else with me? But when you're saved, he puts this incredible robe on you called righteousness. And the only way that you will ever be in his presence is to be perfectly white with his perfection covering you. Your sin on Christ, his righteousness covers you. Are you getting it? That's how you can be perfect in heaven. That's how you can be acceptable in heaven when his righteousness covers you. Can I hear an amen to that? It's true. And therefore, you need to understand that unless you're covered in his righteousness, you will not stand in his presence. Unless you've surrendered to Christ and said, I'm no longer trusting in me at all, and I'm going to receive this free gift of grace that covers me, and my sin is going to be on you, then understand, you cannot be right with God. The true gospel is God alone saves sinners. God does the work. You don't. He did it. The false gospel is sinners trying to save themselves. Work for it in some manner. Light candles, do sacraments, whatever. The true gospel was not invented by men. It was designed by God, and it was provided by God alone. Are you getting it? The gospel is good news from God alone, and God alone saves sinners by grace alone. And Paul reinforces it. Look at verse 11. That the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. The true gospel is not human in nature or authority. And Paul declares, I didn't invent it. I didn't alter it. Nor did any other man, its message is completely divine in origin. Completely. It's from God. Without any mixture of human wisdom whatsoever. 
completely. You're going to find Paul later on in chapters 1 and 2, he's going to say, I got it directly from God. The disciples in Jerusalem got it directly from God, and we compared notes. We didn't give it to each other. We've got it directly from revelation from God himself. It is God's message. It is the only way of salvation worldwide humanity. That's it. The only way. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what you feel. Doesn't matter what Paul thinks. Doesn't matter what Paul feels. Doesn't matter what I think or what I feel. It only matters what God revealed. And what he revealed was salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's what he revealed. So that's why Paul's gospel, that God alone saves sinners by grace alone, is the standard by which all false human theories of salvation are measured or condemned. So that's why Paul takes it a step further. Number three in your outline, the gospel was not received from men or man, earthly, you might not realize that the works righteousness false gospel Judaizers didn't get their religious instruction from the actual scriptures, not from the Bible. Listen, the Judaizers and this false gospel didn't come out of the scripture. It came out of the interpretation of scripture. Uh, They received their religious instruction from rabbinic tradition. So a rabbi would be teaching the Bible and he would give these principles. Well, that became what everybody followed was the practical application principles, not actually the truth of the scripture itself. So these sincere but errant pseudo-Christians used human interpretations of the scripture as their religious guide, the practical applications. Um, I one time uh, was ministering and counseling people who were visiting the church, and this lady had come in, and her Bible was filled with all these little phraseologies that came out of uh, Channel 40 and charismatic television. And, And she lived her life by all the phraseologies, but not by the truth of the Scripture. She actually didn't know Christ. She only knew slogans. Are you with me on this? And that's what was happening in the Old Testament. That's what's happening with Paul here. The Jews knew slogans about what Rabbi this said and Rabbi that said, but they didn't know the Bible itself. They reverenced the Bible, but they didn't know the Bible. Many of their traditions were not only not taught in the Bible, but they contradicted the Bible. And that's what Jesus told them. He said that in Mark 7, 13. Look at it. Thus you nullify the word of God by your traditions that you handed down. This is why in verse 12 it says, For I neither received it from men nor was I taught it from men. I believe that statement is particularly directed at the Judaizers who basically drew this out of the Talmud. Okay, the application. Rabbi so-and-so says this. Rabbi so-and-so says this. Rather than studying the scriptures directly, what they did is they got the application. And they followed that. Slogans and ideas and application, but not actually the truth. Their theology, their moral standards, their ceremonies had their roots in God's revealed word. But they were not directly from the Old Testament scriptures. And the biblical truths had become so distorted with human opinion that the Judaism of the New Testament period basically was received from men. It was not from the scripture. And although in their culture, the Jews reverenced the Bible, they reverenced the Torah, they reverenced the Old Testament scripture almost in a worshipful way, but it was never with serious study and never with dependent obedience to the direct principles of the scripture. Are you getting it? It was slogans. 
The religious ideas that they did take seriously and attempted to live by were man-made traditions related to their unique first century Jewish culture, and they had accumulated hundreds of years of this. So you've heard me share this before. Remember, on the Sabbath, you could spit, but you couldn't spit in the dirt because if you spit in the dirt, the spittle would hit the dirt and move the dirt. Now, that's like plowing, and that's work. And therefore, you cannot spit in the dirt on the Sabbath. If you spit on the dirt, which I don't know why there's such detail about spitting. But if you spit on the Sabbath and you're a Jew, you must spit on a rock because then it won't move. Are you you tracking with me? You say, Chris, that's ridiculous. That's what they lived by. The application, not the actual essence of the truth of God's word. So therefore... What's going on here is their faith had become so warped. Uh, even Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 6, they nullified, look at it, they nullified the word of God for the sake of their tradition. They nullified it. So here is what made it so difficult. The errant Jewish religion, e- even with its distorted human reinterpretations of the law, now listen to me, they still produced, the Jewish culture, a superior culture in life, in practice, in blessing, over all the pagan cultures surrounding them, including Rome. Listen. Jew and Gentile alike in the first century knew and could see how the Jews were a blessed culture. They were cleaner. They were healthier. They were more prosperous. They were better at business. No joke. If they started a New Testament first century city, they actually went after some Jews to come to their city so that business would flourish. I'm not making this up. This is a part of history. That's how superior their culture was. And the Judaizers were saying, look at how superior our culture is. Wouldn't you want to keep all these ceremonies and this dietary law and all these things in order to become a Christian? So they're actually playing off this culture in order to convince you that you needed to abandon salvation by grace alone. But the gospel is good news from God alone that God alone saves sinners by what? Grace alone. Grace alone. And Paul's preaching had no human basis, and it says in verse 12, neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. Paul had all the training in the world, right? He had been, Acts 23 and 26, a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of the Jewish religion. Paul had discarded every single unscriptural notion that he had learned In the man-made religious system, uh, you know, once he became a Christian, no Jewish person could actually boast as much as Paul could over his accomplishments in Judaism, but everything that he had achieved in his strength, in his flesh, in his works, before receiving Christ by grace, he counted them as rubbish. And you know that that means he counted them as excrement compared to knowing Jesus Christ. He said that that just can't, can't happen. Verse 12 proves... There is no human source for Paul's message. The gospel was not invented. It was was by men. It wasn't interpreted by men. And it wasn't applied by men. Where did it come from? Number four in your outline, the gospel came directly from Christ. The gospel came directly from Christ. It's supernatural. Galatians chapter 1 verse 12. But I received it through a what? Oh, come on. One more time. You were writing directly, I know. uh, But I received it through a 
revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel that Paul preached was neither human, it was not human tradition, it was not human invention, but it was given directly by God through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation means the unveiling of something previously secret. It was unveiling, unfolding. And the object of that very revelation is the person of Jesus Christ. It was not that Paul had no previous knowledge of Jesus before the Damascus Road. Paul fiercely persecuted Christians, those who believed in Christ, and Paul did know something of Christ in his work. He knew that Jesus, they claimed, was the Son of God. They, they, he knew that Jesus, they claimed, had uh, risen from the dead, that he was the promised Old Testament Messiah. Paul knew prior to his own salvation that Christians believed that Jesus not only rose from the dead but ascended into heaven and that Paul also knew that Jesus himself not only dispensed with rabbinic traditions but Jesus even lived contrary to many of the ceremonial laws. But before his conversion, Paul could have accurately articulated many of the central teachings of the gospel, but Paul didn't believe them. He didn't believe those teachings on the gospel were true and therefore had no grasp of their spiritual meaning or their eternal significance until one day on the road. It was only after Acts 9 when Paul himself was on the road to Damascus and came in personal contact with Christ that Paul, verse 12, receive the supernatural truth of the gospel through divine revelation. It was at that moment Paul embraced the truth of the gospel, came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and Paul explained that moment. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 through 16 in your outline. It's only when any one of you turns to the Lord for salvation that the veil of spiritual ignorance of God and separation from God is removed. Listen, this could be you. This could be you, 2 Corinthians 3, but their minds were made what? Dull. You go, man, before coffee, that's me every day. Um, that's a little bit more than that. For this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. Even when you read the Bible, they don't get it. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses has read the Old Testament, a veil covers their heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, what happens? The veil's taken away. Boom! Isn't it true, Christian? The moment he takes the scales away from your eyes, you see things. You understand what's going on in the world. You understand what's going on politically. You understand that what, what, what's true and what's not immediately once you become a Christian. And when God removes that veil that's keeping you in the dark, when God turns the light on in your soul, when God internally raises you from the dead, you will cry out to turn from your sin. You will receive the truth, verse 12. Ask him by faith to save you. It won't be like Paul who was slammed to the down on the road in a blinding light. But it will be, are you ready for this? The truth, the gospel, only comes as God reveals himself to you. Would you ask him, maybe today, to reveal himself to you? Maybe you're still doubtful. You're thinking, how do we know for certain Paul is right? Well, Paul takes the next 12 verses, 12 verses to prove it. What does he say? For the answer to that, you have to come back next week. It's an awesome passage. Take this home. Ask yourself, are you a people pleaser with the gospel? Do you tell people they're sinners? Do you tell people that they're condemned before a holy God? Do you tell them that they must surrender their life exchanging all that they are for all that he is? Do you tell them that they need to call out 
in faith and turn from their sin in repentance? Do you tell them the true gospel? You know, you got to get this. Movies today are really big on magic, aren't they? You just got the little wand and then, bing, you touch somebody and everything's changed, right? That's nothing. That's literally nothing. You have better than that. You can touch others' lives with the message of the gospel and see them transformed. Now that's power. You say, are you really? Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God. Letter B. Are you aware of the living God providentially working in every aspect of your life? It's so important that you walk through life, even when it's hot, friends. I know that going to your car is like walking on the surface of the sun. I get it. But Joseph's reaction to his brothers wanting to kill him, but then sell him to slavery. I mean, when horrible things happen, well, look at how he responds. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God's reaction to Israel, even in her exile, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and to give you a hope. You know the Lord your God is in control, but are you aware that He's orchestrating everything? Every event, every relationship, every circumstance, every hardship, every trial, every difficulty, every moment of every day to accomplish His will. Instead of complaints, we ought to be given thanks. Instead of doubt, we should be trusting Him, knowing that when He turns a weird corner, it's, it's okay. Instead of indifference, there should be a sense of dependence. Remind yourself, would you, of His providence? I used to put a P on my hand to remind myself to pray. Sometimes I put a P now on my hand to remind myself of providence. Write it on the mirror at home. Start every day knowing every single detail is orchestrated by the sovereign loving God who saved you and will bring you home. He has a purpose. Remember He's at work every second of every day for His glory and your good. And let her see the free gift of salvation is only found by grace through faith in Christ. The gospel is good news from God alone and God alone saves sinners by grace alone. When you rely on Christ, your sin falls on Christ. Watch, His righteousness covers you. You are then made right with Him eternally. You're indwelt with His Holy Spirit. He transforms you internally, gives you a desire to obey and follow Him. Again, God accepts you and then you follow Him. Because you want to. Do you have true salvation? Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word Thank you for the, just the sweet challenge of these verses to remember that you are supernaturally at work in salvation. You're supernaturally at work in every detail of our lives. And Father, that you are the one who deserves all our praise, all our focus, and that we would walk with you and encourage one another to walk with you. And Father, for any who are outside of your kingdom, of your family, would you awaken them to that reality? 
So then they would turn to you and trust in you and depend on you alone. And abandon their will, their ways, their Christianity and say, Lord, just save me. Give me a heart to follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day. Thank you.